Welcome to the Fourth Watch Podcast, a curated conversation with some of the most interesting voices in the media. I'm Steve Krakauer. Today, we're talking to my former boss, the founder of Mediate, and the host of the new show, Dan Abrams Live on News Nation. Yes, Dan Abrams. This is episode 25. On hosting a show on MSNBC and as an executive running it, on the state of cable news overall, on the Aussie drama and the cancellation of live PD, we start with a recent push by the broader media to demonize and scapegoat Facebook. I want to start with uh, a thing that I've been been thinking a lot about this week. There was the the Facebook whistleblower on 60 Minutes, and then she was talking in front of Congress. And I've been writing about this in Fourth Watch also. And I, I'm curious your take on it. So I, I'm trying to figure out why Facebook has become sort of the boogeyman here. Why why there's this what feels like a like a moral panic happening uh, right now. It reminds me of like the video game craze, like in when when there were some school shootings. Is is are violent video games leading to this? Why? What is it about not just politicians, but but the media that are making Facebook into this into the bad guy here? Um, and and I've I've tried to identify it. Maybe there's two things. Maybe it's something that you know Facebook had such a huge impact on people's businesses in the media in the media business. You know they said, oh, you know, do this kind of content, and we'll 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 fix it. You know, we'll put it in the algorithm, and it'll do really well. New video now, okay, that'll do really well, and then they change it again. Really messes with their business model, or maybe it's a it's a trump you know holdover you know they're 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 still trying to figure out how they can find some reason to explain this the shock of trump winning and oh it must just be that people are getting radicalized on this place called facebook what do you think of it and what what do you think of the media coverage of places like facebook now and, and all of social media as this this really negative thing well look i think that that it's a very um, unifying theme between the left and the right for different reasons um, to hate social media. Right. I mean, it's like hating the media in general. Everyone loves to hate the media. You love to hate Congress. Um, It's, it's easy to hate a giant that is so powerful and can be so influential. Um, But I think that, you know, with Facebook, I think it is come down to different reasons for different people um, disliking Facebook. And is there, you know, is there not enough regulation? Is it too powerful? But I'm not remotely surprised that it has become sort of, you know, the the thing to do, which is to to hate Facebook, except that, you know, tons of people still use it and and really like using it. So it's to me, it becomes almost like a slogan, like I hate Congress. I hate the media. I hate Facebook. Um, you know, um, I hate the weatherman. Um, you know, it's just, it becomes one of those things that people just say, and I guess, you know, it's not really fair to weather people because these days they do, they really tend to be much more accurate than when I was younger and everyone <laughs> would, would claim that they never got it right. So that that's my thinking on why it's um, become the boogeyman. Yeah. I mean, it is right. I mean, Facebook is this thing that, that can't be controlled by, and, and it's really, I, I would say it almost in competition with, with places like a, you know, a CNN or, or, you know, certainly places like a Buzzfeed um, where all of a sudden, you know, that it has wields this real power and uh, maybe it starts to have this sort of competing interests. And, and all of a sudden now it's, 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 we, we've got to, you know, but it's not, crack it's not down a on competing. them. 
but it's not a competing interest. It's that they can impact their business so much, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if Facebook turns off the spigot, um, you know, that impacts significantly their businesses. I don't think it's that they're, I mean, look, they're competing, I guess, with them a bit for ad dollars, right? I mean, there's so many ad dollars going to Facebook. Um, and those are ad dollars that I'm sure CNN and BuzzFeed and others like would love to have. Um, so in that sense, there probably is a bit of, of, of competitive spirit behind it. But I think that, you know, I think it's frustrating to these giants to have some bigger giant who can literally, you know, can have a major impact on your business. MSNBC and CNN, then and now. What has changed in the world of cable news over the past 20 years? Let's look back uh, at, at where the media has gone over the last, let's say, 20 years, because uh, 20 years ago, you were hosting a show on MSNBC called The Abrams Report. And, uh, and then shortly after that, a few years later, became the GM of MSNBC. I, I try to do as much research as I can. Um, and I found this incredible headline in The New York Times about your appointment as GM of MSNBC by Bill Carter. This was in 2006, the 40-year-old virgin executive. Uh, <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty smart. It was good. Uh, you know, even then, you were talking talking about that, you know, there needed to be less newscasty, as, as, as you described it, which I have to say kind of really foretold where cable news, particularly MSNBC, went in the, in the intervening years. What do you remember of, those, of that time in cable news when you had a, a show 20 years ago when you became GM 15 years ago? And how does that kind of change or how, how does that look compared to where things are now? Well, I, I can describe it to you by naming names, which will shock people of people who used to be hosts at MSNBC, Laura Ingram, Tucker Carlson, Pat Buchanan, Alan Keyes. Yeah, I had um, a trivia but, question that was going to come, which was who replaced your, you when you became GM? And it was Tucker Carlson. That, that who? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, no. Well, when I became when I yes, when I became GM, I guess Tucker took over the six o'clock and and look, I was a big advocate of Tucker's and Tucker, you know, he knows that 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 I was very much behind um, supporting Tucker's show. Um, But, you know, the days of having balance are over. And, and, And I'll say that that, you know, it didn't quite work in the sense that. That, that when you fill up the stadium with Laura Ingram fans or Tucker Carlson fans, et cetera, you simply can't have a, either a straight newscast or particularly a liberal uh, opinion person coming right after. It just doesn't work. Um, so, so, you know, we are in a fundamentally different place. And I will say one of the things that I pushed for when I was running MSNBC was we got to pick a lane. Yeah. Um, and, you know, look, it, even though that lane didn't always match with my personal politics, we had to pick it and we did. And we went hard. We went hard left and and it worked because that's what people seem to want was a place where they can go to have their views uh, reinforced. And suddenly the numbers uh, started shooting up. As we stopped trying to have a diversity of views and to focus more on a, you know, a single. And look, and by the way, the the, the greatest part of the end of that story is that so I finished becoming I'm finished as GM and 
I'm, I, I hate it by the end. I'm begging Jeff Zucker to get out of it because I basically, I had no autonomy. They, you know, it's a little exaggeration, but I didn't have enough autonomy. There were a lot of executives and there. There were a lot of executives, <laughs> a lot of people, everything I had to go through and this and this and that. And so I begged to get out of the job and I begged to have my show back. Um, and the hour that happened to be available at that time was the 9 p.m. hour because Joe Scarborough was going to the morning to do Morning Joe and his show at nine o'clock had not worked. Um, and so I started doing the show that was kind of balanced. That right. was, you know, 2008. It was McCain versus Hillary. Who won today? You know, who told the truth today? Who this? And it just wasn't nearly as popular <laughs> as the as the more straight left leaning shows. And that's why, you know, when they announced, when they told me that they were going to put Rachel Maddow in, I said, that makes a ton of sense. I don't yeah. know how else to say it. I mean, I don't want to lose the show, but I also can't possibly defend you keeping me there based on where the audience is. Well, your lead in to the 9 p.m. show was Keith Olbermann, who right. you exactly. know, really, I think, was was emblematic of, of where MSNBC went and 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 has continued to go. Although I, I have to say, I think that MSNBC has gotten a lot smarter um, than than kind of the show that Keith did uh, back then um, with with Rachel and with some of the other choices they've made. I think that there's there's a different emphasis. Obviously, it's very left leaning, but it's a it, there's a there's a shift in some way um, from trying to emulate the Fox model in some capacity to trying to be like I don't know how to describe it the 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 New York Times op ed page on TV or something I don't know. But well, and one um, of the things I think that they did that was smart was that they built the prime time around Rachel Maddow, right? I mean, yeah. you know, Chris Hayes is so similar in so many ways to. To, to Rachel Maddow, just in his delivery, in his take on stories, et cetera, that, you know, that made a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, I think that 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 Hayes and, and Maddow in particular are very complementary with one another. Lawrence O'Donnell is a bit more of the old school, you know, kind of bombast um, um, host. Yeah, and, I mean, you got a, you got a West Wing writer at 10 p.m. So you know. Yeah. No. Look, and I, but I think that they all. I, I didn't mean that. I don't mean that as an as an insult. No. I, yeah, I mean it because look, I, I'm more bombastic than are either Rachel Maddow or Chris Hayes um, in my delivery. So I say that I say that as a you know a bit of a fellow bombaster. Um, but uh, um, but uh, I think that I think that what they're doing is is working and 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 there's a reason that they're beating CNN. Right. Um, and, you know, um, that's because people, because they're not doing opinion that is particularly dissimilar from what CNN is doing uh, in the evenings. Well, that's, um, yeah, that's a key, that's a key thing because I, I want to ask you about that. You, you mentioned Jeff Zucker, who was, who was, I guess, at the time, sort of your boss when he was running uh, NBC yep. at the time. Now he's running CNN. And and I do, I, I agree with you. I look at it and I say, MSNBC, there's an honesty to where they're coming from that uh, as much as I, I loved working for, for CNN, I went to CNN after working for you at, at uh, Mediaite. Um, I, I enjoyed my time there and I enjoyed working with Jeff. Um, but they've come, they've gone into this weird place where they, they are something that they are pretending they are not. Um, and it's, it's hard to square that. And I feel like I, I don't understand why they're doing that, but I, I wonder as a, as a, a person who's been in the media world for a long time and who's, and who is a, you know, also watched it as, as someone who started media, what do you think of where they are now and kind of the choice that they've, they've made to, to try to thread this needle? 
I think the problem that a lot of these opinion hosts have is that they call themselves journalists. Um, you know, I've said about my new News Nation show, right? I've said, I'm not going to tell you that I'm unbiased. I'm not going to pretend that I'm just playing it straight. Yeah. And the problem is that that's what you see on CNN is everyone. And, and, and by the way, some of the people on MSNBC will tell you the same thing that, you know, that they're, I'm just laying it out. Hey, hey, I'm not an opinion guy. I'm just, I'm just giving you the facts. I'm just telling you, I'm just doing analysis. It's like, no, stop, stop. No one believes you. Um, and just own it, own it. And I think you're right that, that Fox in primetime owns it. Um, MSNBC largely owns it. And I think that, that the problem for CNN is rather than owning that CNN in prime time is now opinion and in the morning. Um, in, instead, they just want to claim that they're just journalists giving you the facts. And, you know, I, I think that that the journalists, in my view, and look, I used to be a journalist. I'm not a journalist. anymore. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I used to go out and cover stories, break news, um, gather information and, and, and report it back. Yeah. That's what a journalist does. When you get to sit in a studio and offer your opinion on a variety of topics, just call yourself an opinion host. Call yourself a host. But don't call yourself, don't lump yourself in with the people who are out there doing the hard work every day as journalists. And that's why, you know, one of the, the sort of the, the, the promos that we've been doing for my new show has been around, I'm not going to pretend. So we'll see. I, I don't get it. I mean, and, 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 you know, I don't want to go too into, you know, naming names, but, you know, Chris Cuomo, I know you and I, I know, I think you know him better than I do, um, but I worked with him. I enjoyed working with him, Don Lemon. I, and, I, and I would say to them, you know, I, 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 I feel like your show would be more successful if you were just, if you would just be honest about it. Like, I, I don't, I mean, maybe it's like this idea of you get into that building and you've got the ghost of Ted Turner and, and this idea that, that you might be able to, you know, say, okay, we're not doing hard news where I'm not a news program that is, is somehow like sacrilege, but wouldn't it be more successful if they just did, if they just said that, like you're saying, I do think that, that there is a larger issue at CNN, which is that, you know, if you were to, to say what I just said, right. Which is, I'm not a journalist anymore. Um, I am a host of a show, an opinion host. I'm a business person, um, et cetera. Um, that you would be ostracized yeah. internally. And there would, the people would be saying, well, you know, I didn't come here to work on a, you know, a quasi news show. And it's funny because when I interviewed people for my show, I said to them, because, you know, a lot of them were people who had news backgrounds, right? Yeah. And I said to them, I want to be really clear about what I'm doing here, okay? This is not going to be a straight news show. Um, we're going to do almost no news reports, we're going to be doing analysis. We're going to be doing, we're going to be breaking down what is happening. I'm going to be having a take on things. I'm going to have guests who either disagree with me or who are going to add additional information. And, and, and it helped me weed out a couple of people, particularly for high level jobs who wanted to do a newscast. And that's, I respect that. I'm not mocking it in any way, but the bottom line is there's a reason that, you know, Shepard Smith, does a really good newscast every day 
that that even though it's on a major network like CNBC is watched by so few people. It's not Shepard's fault, yeah. but it's just it's just because that's what they insist on doing. Is it good? I've never actually seen it. It is good. It <laughs> okay. is good. You know what? It's well-produced. It's fast-paced. I mean, again, 15 years ago, that would be like, you know, it, it was sort of like, remember, the, this is really digging into the archives. Do you remember the show, The News with Brian Williams that used to air on MSNBC? Yes, I think so. It, it was it was it was pre Brian getting the NBC nightly news. Yeah, it broke all and obviously there, yeah. pre controversy, etc. Right. Um, and and it was like a really kind of fast paced um, news program. They had reports, right? The NBC news reporters would would file packages for the show. They do live shots, etc. You know, it was a really informative show. The world is a different place now yeah. with the Internet. We don't need you know, straight news. I mean, look, I, I actually find the, the network newscast to be kind of refreshing in many ways. But beyond that, newscasts simply will not work on cable, um, period. Right. And everyone knows that. It's just a question of who's going to admit it or not. And who's, yeah, and who's going to be honest about it, right? right. I, I, I want to ask you about your news show as well, but I want to go back to one thing you mentioned, Tucker Carlson. You said you were his boss at one point. Um, yeah. what, do you, what did you see in him then? And, and, and what do you think of his real cable news dominance now? I, I know, obviously, he is the highest rated or the second highest rated, but in terms of the, the cultural conversation that is around cable news, he seems to dominate in, in ways that I don't know if we've seen um, potentially ever. Well, because he's because he's saying things that other people aren't saying. I mean, you know, he goes much further than Sean Hannity would ever go um, in terms of, you know, his various theories, um, you know, replacement <laughs> theory, whatever, whatever the, the 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 controversy du jour is. Tucker, Tucker, I think more than anything, loves getting a rise out of the liberal media. And I think that I think to some degree he's so addicted to that that he'll almost say anything when he can can he when he can envision the next day heads exploding <laughs> at at more mainstream news organizations. He's always sort of enjoyed that. I think he's taking it to an extreme these days. But but I think that's what drives him. I think as a result. That's what drives the, the conversation around him. Um, and look, he's he's a different, you know, he, he's a different host than he was back then, just in terms of the positions that he takes. He used to, in my view, be a sort of straight conservative. Um, and, you know, now I think he's gotten a lot wackier. Um, but boy, is his show working. Yeah. I mean, I, he definitely has a, a, a certain kind of uniqueness to him. He's not going to toe the party line, which I think, you know, love him or hate him is, is, is something different. So uh, that is, as you mentioned, working. Uh, okay. Dan Abrams live on News Nation, 8 p.m. Eastern. So you're now you're, you're thrust into the cable news primetime li- landscape. Um, and you talked about when, when the show launched uh, uh, last month about trying to get viewers who are not stuck in their echo chambers. Um, and, and I'm curious, as, you're, as now you're a few weeks in, when you look at kind of what does success look like? Are you looking at ratings? Are you looking at kind of digital reach and conversation? How do you, how do you gauge if you're, if you're reaching the right people? Because it, as you mentioned, it is a very different landscape now in 2021. Right. So initially, I'm not going to be looking at ratings because it would be too depressing. Um, so, uh, you know, th- that's not good because, you know, people don't 
even know about News Nation yet. Yeah. It's about the first step is getting people to realize that they actually have it. If you have cable, you have News Nation. If you, if you have an OTT stream, one of the major OTT streamers, you have News Nation. People don't really, the, the first question I get is, how do I watch it? Um, and my point is, go to your guide and find it. And the reason is because it's a new network right. that, you know, they, they acquired WGN America, uh, the old cable channel, and have now taken all that distribution and created it into to News Nation. Um, and you know, I hadn't been looking for a gig on cable. Um, I have not had a single conversation with, you know, anyone at MSNBC or CNN or Fox or, you know, or any of them about a hosting a cable news show in years. Um, and the reason for that is because I just didn't think that what I did, knowing its opinion that works, that my kind of opinion has a home right, right now. Um, and so I didn't even bother. Um and so when I went to, to talk to the News Nation folks about something else, it was a business partnership that I was talking to them about. Oh, interesting. We started talking about what they ought to be doing. And, you know, they had initially been branding themselves and, and spent a lot of time and effort at really trying to be unbiased, meaning in their newscasts, taking literally people marking up scripts to, to try to take any sort of judgment, bias, et cetera, out of scripts. And my position was, you know, that's a great noble goal, but it's never going to get viewers. And they knew that it's not like I came in with like a, you know, like I was the great sage and they were like, Oh, thank goodness. Dan Abrams taught us the way. And it's not what happened, but, but they were very, you know, we were very sort of on the same page about what kinds of shows would work. And so it, the conversation shifted where they weren't particularly interested in my uh, business proposition, <laughs> but they were interested in me hosting a show. And, you know, I laid out for them as we talked more what, in my view, the show would look like, which is you're not going to know how I'm going to come down on a variety of issues. Right. Um, I'm going to, you know, the, the, the right is going to call me liberal and the left, you know, it's funny because you know, I've, I've used this example that, you know, people, on the right, including people you know well, have have referred to me as um, center left, and uh, people like you know Don Lemon has called me center right, um, and and I take that as a compliment. Um, that yeah. doesn't mean I'm doing everything right, by the way. People always say, "Well, it means you're doing everything right." No, it doesn't. It could mean I'm an idiot who who takes you know dumb positions that are you know sort of center ish. But you know the thing that the reason I'm doing this is because. I know that the vast majority of Americans view themselves as right or left of center. Um, the question just becomes, will they come watch a cable news show that doesn't they don't necessarily agree with all the time, right? They'll yeah. say, yeah, generally I agree with him. Oh, but you know, ah, he did this segment that really pissed me off. You don't get that on Fox or MSNBC or CNN. It's oh, yeah. feel good, right? And so the question is, are people going to come to be challenged to find me engaging, but also to say I may disagree with him in certain cases. And that's we'll, that'll we'll have to see. But uh, the well, big picture answer to your uh, question is long term, it's going to be ratings. It's going to be digital engagement. It's going to be all of it. I, I, but I, I, I think that the majority of the country is is not 
hard-lined one direction or the other. Not, I mean, I, I think most not. people are messy, you know, and I, I think that, and, and if they're not, they they are, have a much greater appetite to consume things that they're not just like only being told what they what they you know already believe in, um, then because they're they're everyday life, their family, their friends are not people that, that they don't only surround themselves with one group of people. Coming up, Dan Abrams started Mediate eight years ago. I was the founding TV editor there at the time. How has that site evolved? And where does it sit now in the entire media marketplace? That's next. But first, let's talk about Gawker, new Gawker. Because the original Gawker had some great periods and some less successful periods, but it always felt essential. If you were at all interested in the world of media, you had to check it out multiple times a week just to see what was brewing from that Soho office. It has now been more than two months since the relaunched Gawker returned, and I think we've seen enough to assess its place in the media landscape. And so far, the results are extremely underwhelming. There are the stories which appear to be an attempt at obscure humor, but are just odd. There's a story called Pass the Pepper, which is about how pepper is good. Pepper is a true star, not just an accomplice or distraction, and there's more to heavy peppering than the finishing touch, reads the short blog post. Or here's something that, again, I think is meant to be funny. Do you wish you had a tail, is the headline, and it's sort of what you'd expect. Do you wish you had a tail? For me, I don't think so. I have scoliosis, and although upon close inspection you can see that I am somewhat malformed, most of the issues right now are in the inside of my body. The author then asked the whole staff whether they would like to have tails. But it's not just not very funny attempts at humor. There's a column about how Mayim Bialik is destroying Jeopardy, which essentially boils down to her being a, quote, pro-Israel wet blanket. Or there's this, which I guess is what counts for investigative reporting at the new site. Quote, was Representative Steve Scalise shot in the dick? Asked the tarply hit headline. Somehow Gawker was able to find the most inconsequential element of the domestic terrorist attack on Scalise and other GOP congressmen. And even taking the absurd angle, the conclusion was, quote, the jury is out on the integrity of the congressman's dick and balls. So the reporter really just wrote the piece for the headline. Who is Gawker for? Is there any audience at all for this? Because there certainly used to be for the old Gawker, which pushed boundaries, was often funny, but did so with a sense of purpose, uniqueness and essentiality. Now, it's irrelevant, at least so far. More with Dan Abrams coming up, but first, the Fourth Watch podcast is presented by The First TV. The First is a new network for free speech and big ideas featuring Bill O'Reilly, Dana Lash, Buck Sexton, and more. It's a forum for new thought, new approaches, and an enlightening voice for a new America that embraces the founding principles and ideals that form the greatest country on the planet. The First is free. No subscriptions, no credit cards, no trials, no censorship. You can watch The First TV on Pluto TV, Distro TV, Apple TV, The First TV app, and more. Go to thefirsttv.com to learn more. And now... Back to Dan Abrams. What you're saying kind of leads to talking about Mediate in general, because it feels like a lot of what you're bringing to the, to the show now is what you talked to me about when, when I was coming over to, to Mediate as that, that was launching in, in 2009, now 12 years ago, which is pretty incredible Crazy. for, for digital Crazy. media space, um, still going strong. And I'm curious, you think back to what the impetus was, what you thought was missing in the marketplace when you launched Mediate um, and, and how that translates to now, because I would say it's as relevant as ever right now. Well, it's more relevant than ever. I mean, you know, um, there are certain, you know, the, 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 the thinking behind media, which, you know, I, I don't like to engage in, you know, patting myself on the back, but oh, come on. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it in this one particular instance. <laughs> the idea behind media 
was that people are more interested in the media figures than they are the politicians. And that the proxies in the media for political positions are much more engaging than the Chuck Schumers and Mitch McConnell's of the world. And that Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity are much more engaging and interesting and hearing what they have to say and covering them is more interesting than covering the politicians themselves. That was the thinking behind. And and that was coming from having hosted cable news shows, right? I was saying, you know, people are always really interested in what the cable news hosts have to say. And this was coming just as opinion was becoming sort of dominant in the cable news world. And that was the thinking behind the creation of media. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I have to say the media started, Twitter existed, but it was not nearly the force that it is now. And, and you, you sort of combine media with, with what Twitter has become, because I do, you know, one of the things that people maybe who are on the outside of the media world don't understand is just how much ego there is in the media, you know, workspace, oh, yeah. um, how much, I mean, I've talked to lots of people who want to read about themselves on media. I, I don't know if I've ever told you the story. I was at an MSNBC party in 2010 and Ed Schultz, RIP Ed Schultz came up to me and said, you know, you always write about Keith Olbermann at media. I, I say crazy shit all the time. Why don't you write about me? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I don't think that's really, I mean, it was, you know, maybe after a couple of drinks, Ed Schultz saying that, but I, I think a lot of people think about that as like, this is a place that's almost a, um, it's a little bit about ego, but it's also an, a validation that what I'm saying is having an impact. I think that's true. But, but I will say that the, that the story, and, and look, you, you know, I don't get into the day-to-day editing of the site. I, you know, they all do this autonomously. Aiden McLaughlin yeah. runs the site. Uh, Colby Hall, Joe DiPaolo, Josh Feldman, all of them. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't, get into the, any of the, the, the nitty gritty, but, but I do see stories that I'll pitch them. And then there are other stories I'll see on the site and I'll be like, why did you guys do this? And the stories that piss me off the most are the ones where it's like, Chris Hayes says something that Chris Hayes would of course say, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And I'm like, why is that news? Why do we have a headline that says Chris Hayes bashes Trump over blank? Right. I'm like, why is that interesting? I said, if Chris Hayes defends Trump, oh, now that's interesting. Now you've got a story. Or if Chris Hayes says something incredibly radical, right? Like, yeah. this is the end of uh, society as we know. Okay, great. Now that's, that's big enough. But the stories that make me nuts are the ones where it's just a headline of some cable news person saying something that you would expect that cable news person to say. Right, right. Now you want to see, you know, you want to see something that is uh, that's moving the needle, and and those are obviously, I would imagine, the things that do the best are 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 you know being first, being early on the thing that everyone's going to talk about, right? And and yep. uh, and Twitter is the engine for that. And uh, man, I can only imagine it's doing well. Well, what, what's the end game for media right now? You see a lot of stories now about about places. I know the Hill just sold, and Politico, yeah. and others. What, what what do you what do you envision the end game for for media? Well, uh, first of all, Mediate is a tiny business compared to Law and Crime, um, the business that I have yeah. around. I mean, that's got a full network. It's available on basic cable. It's got the you know the number one true crime website in America. It's got a huge production arm. 
So, I mean, you know, the vast majority of the employees who work for me work for law and crime. Um, I say that just to say that when I'm thinking big picture of what's next, I'm typically thinking about law and crime. Media, it's fun. I, I like <laughs> media. I like having media. You yeah. know, I've had people approach me about media, but I recognize that the valuation on media, um, you know, to me wouldn't be worth selling. So, so I, the only way that I could see, you know, do I blow it out at some point and really try and, you know, make it a, uh, you know, a, a 360 business? I might. I'm just doing too many other things right now um, to spend too much time envisioning it. I'm trying to actually consolidate a little bit more my businesses. Right. But, but you know, I like having Mediate. And so I'm not really in the market to sell it. If someone said to me, well, you know, uh, law and crime to, in order to move forward with some, you know, big picture issue on law, because we've had a lot of interest in law and crime lately. And I say this, you know, in the last nine months, there's just been a lot of conversations with big media companies for exactly the reasons you're talking about. Just people are talking about acquiring um, content, et cetera. And the only way I'd consider Mediate would be if someone said that they needed it as part of a, you know, a deal. The Fourth Watch Lightning Round is coming up, but first, the Aussie media debacle and cancel culture coming for live PD. And what, do you, what do you make of the Aussie story? Because, you know, Carlos Watson is now still, as of this moment, making the media rounds. Uh, it's been a fascinating <laughs> insular media story. Um, it's nuts. Someone who looks at, you know, I, you and I have been obsessed with analytics, uh, I think. Uh, I, I certainly still am. I imagine yeah. you are as well, uh, with traffic and with numbers and with, you know, chart beat back in the day. Uh, how, how can it, how can it be so far off from the reality, uh, by, and for so long? Yep. I, I did this as a segment on my show the other day. And the angle that I took was that, you know, you heard someone like Brian Stelter say it was an open secret, right? That, that Ozzy was sort of a fraud. And if yeah. my position is if it was such an open secret, how did it, how did they allow it to continue? Now I will say that I'm, I'm as guilty to some degree in the sense that I remember, you know, a couple of years in thinking Ozzy's nothing. And then suddenly I'm seeing Carlos Watson at these major events, like hosting them connection with Ozzy. And I'm like, wow, I was totally wrong about this business. But th I think that part of it is that, that Ozzy was a liberal media darling. Yeah. I think that everyone, you know, Oh, we got to, we got to partner with Ozzy because we've got to increase our diversity. And, you know, and it's like, no, you know, I mean, you know and by the way, that was really bad for all these other diverse companies that didn't get those partnerships and instead went to Aussie. Um, so, but my point is it was just a reflex reaction from many in the left leaning. And I don't just mean news media, just in general who needed to partner and wanted to be seen as making an effort to be diverse and partnered with Aussie media without really looking into what are they doing? And it's not just media companies, advertisers, it's everybody. Um, and I think that was part of the, the problem. It's funny. You know, I, I, when I talked about this, I had someone on who was, who was talking about it from the perspective of other um, companies led by um, diverse CEOs that suffered yeah. as a result of Ozzy kind of stealing the thunder. Um, but there was no there there because no one bothered to actually dig into the analytics on anything. 
Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and probably will continue to suffer. I would imagine if, if there are, if there were investors who took a shot on Ozzy and Carlos Watson and have been burned in this way, uh, it's only going to have a worse reverberating effect, I feel like. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's an amazing story, but it's also, I think really sad. And, it, and it's also reflective of just how much we're still in the wild west of the digital media space. Um, you know, we don't really have the source. There's no Nielsen in, in any real way for, yeah, but, but, you know. But you know, I mean, come on. I mean, yes, it's true. And look, Comscore is so notoriously inaccurate. But, you know, if someone's going to put money into my company, they're going to demand to see my Google Analytics. Right. Right. Think, At the yeah. least. Um, and, you know, the problem was that, that, that Ozzy was positioning itself not as a digital media company. Right. It was a brand. It was it was right. a, a lifestyle. It was a you know, it was it was about, you know, we're doing TV shows. We're doing this. We're doing that. Um, and I can tell you that, you know, as someone who does that with law and crime, right, a lot of our business is the production arm. Um, but, you know, when we're talking to prospective, you know, acquirers, investors, whatever the case may be, they're asking, you know, very specific questions about the contracts that we have for the next round of productions and, you know, what the margins are and this. So, so, so it just, it has to be that people didn't ask those questions of Ozzy. Yeah. Well, that's the thing also. It's like, I, I do wonder like the private equity aspect of this, because if once you get to that level, you're not really looking at the, the numbers. It's, that's not, that's almost secondary. It's, it's, it's the perception, it's the association, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not so defined as the actual numbers. It's more of what are the, what's the story that you can weave and tell? And then, and then how can you get your exit down the road? Well, um, I'll tell you every private equity, you know, look, I've chosen not to go with private equity. But anytime I've had those conversations, <laughs> they've asked me a ton of questions about specifics. Yeah. And it hasn't just been like, oh, Dan Abrams is a you know blank guy. It's been a lot of details, a lot of due diligence questions, et cetera. So that's why that's why I don't get it. I mean, you know, that's really where I would say, you know, when I when I mentioned that this this effort to want to partner with Ozzy, I don't just mean it from a media perspective, I mean it from a financial perspective, I mean it from an advertising perspective, I mean, you know, everyone. And it's like, it just seems like no one dug in at all in the way that I can assure you that every time I do a deal, they dig deep, or I even talk about a deal, they dig deep. So funny. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I just can't believe Carlos is still going and it's not going away. Uh, so I'd imagine this will be- It's going away. It's going to go away. Eventually. Carlos is going to- Yes. I mean, because, you know, he can't he can't identify he won't identify who his investors are now. He's not going to identify who his advertisers are now. It's like, you know, this is going It's going to go away. It's just it's worked for so long. Right. That I think he's still emboldened yeah. to think he's going to be able to get away with it again. He's going to have his Lazarus moment. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so. Amazing. Uh, all right. Let me ask you last thing before we get to the, uh, the lightning round here. I want to talk about live PD real quick. Cause you talk about having like 9,000 jobs. Um, one of them uh, up until last year was live PD, which you hosted and it was a huge hit. I mean, this was, this was like the biggest show on cable um, and it was canceled, you, you know, because of these, you know, this copaganda accusations that were going around there after the George Floyd. And uh, it, it's, it got me thinking about just like, it used to be, it felt like that the marketplace decided, right? It was like, okay, you know, this is the biggest show on, on cable. So it's, it's above this sort of 
cancellation, you know, not in the literal cancellation, but in the sort of metaphorical one. But now it's like you get a hundred loud people on Twitter and they can make a lot of noise and make some decisions. So uh, what do you think this means for the future of media? Look, I don't think it was Twitter. I think it was, you know, very active pressure um, that came from a lot of directions and a lot of interest groups um, to uh, force a to take live PD off the air. I don't, I wasn't involved in the discussions. I was just informed and I was not happy about yeah. it. Um, and I made that very clear. Um, so, you know, look, I, but I think that what you're seeing is that these things go through a cycle, right? Which is, you know, it was for a while, I was like, you know, a pariah because I was saying, I think this is an overreaction. I you mean, gotta, it, people need to go watch the, the amazing interview with Brianna Keeler uh, on this, which was oh, just fantastic. Yeah, well, that yeah, that was a good example of it. You know, it was like this fury and anger about this. Shit. But what it really is, is a fury and anger at police. It's basically saying, you know, if you do anything that shines a, a light that is not negative on police, you're the enemy. I, look, I had a. Um, uh, a hit piece done on me recently about my new show in Salon that came mm. out last week, um, where the the writer was basically um, claiming that I was doing pro cop propaganda on my a show. former mediaite writer, by the way, a former media writer who I'd never met before. Yeah. Um, and um, and by the way, I invited him to come on my show, and of course, he didn't want to do that. <laughs> um, but but. You know, but the point is, it's not it's not about him. It's it, it, it's that there is a, you know, a broader sentiment, which is, well, Dan, and then the segments I'm doing on the show are body cam segments, right? Like cops surviving various difficult situations, et cetera, and taking people through what happened, either talking to the cops or talking to another cop about sort of how that situation got resolved. And, you know, that's viewed in this new world as controversial. Yeah. How could you be celebrating? You know, these, the, 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 the police for the occasional thing that happens when they're out killing people all the time. And it's like, wow, that's where we are. Yeah. That, and by the way, these are some of the same people who will tell you, Oh, well the Capitol police were good. I mean, <laughs> right. it, it, it makes me crazy about the hypocrisy Heroes. on the, on yeah. the right is the, well, the Capitol Police are not, are not heroes. It's like, wait, what? And then on the left, suddenly they love the Capitol Police, but they don't love, they don't love the rest of them. So the, the, the insanity in this country around policing is reflected in the Capitol Police. You can just see, it, you know, it all comes down to, you know, um, uh, you know which side you're on on this. So, yeah. And I have to say, I, I feel like there's a lot of fear also, you know, yeah, there are some true believers on either side um, and, and they're partisans and they're going to try to get their things. But, but I, I just think there's so much fear in the media of upsetting the wrong small group of people yeah. uh, that you get these overreactions. Well, and look, and in particular, this is the challenge in being in the middle, right? Is you don't have that base of people who are going to, who are going to have your back. Right. Um, is that you say something that offends a particular group or person or whatever it is. And unlike someone who shares your you know, view on everything and people will be rabid and say, you know, we'll forgive, you know, you're done. Um, 
And but look, that's the beauty of a place, you know, again, like like um, where I where I'm at at News Nation is, you know, they're not in the media bubble. They're not they're based out of Chicago. <laughs> you know, they're not in New York. They're not part of the 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 media media ecosystem um, ecosystem. Yeah. And so, you know, they their position is say, you know, call it like it is. And, uh, you know, we got your back. Um, so I hope, uh, you know, I'm going to definitely be saying it like it is. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that's true. That's a, that's a good place to be. I, uh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. All right. Last thing, six, six questions in 60 seconds. Where were you born? Uh, Manhattan. You are the founder of Mediate, the host of Dan Abrams Live on News Nation. What's one benefit and one cost of those jobs? Well, benefit of being the host of news nation is that, you know, I'm, I've been missing a little bit being part of the conversation on a lot of um, topics, even though I've got a radio show. Um, The, the cost is on my personal life. I mean, I'm doing a lot of different things and the amount of time it takes. um, I don't get home until after the show, which is live from eight to nine is rough. Yeah. Who's someone who's been a mentor for you? My dad, um, certainly. Um, I think that that may be viewed as a as a cop out answer, but uh, but he's definitely been a great mentor. Well, also as a, a media connection there as well. A, yep. uh, a mentor for anyone who cares about the First Amendment. Uh, who is one person you really like professionally or personally that may surprise people? Uh, Sean Hannity. Huh. Who's one person? Um, I, and when I when I say I, I mean you know I think he is uh, you know just a, a really I, I really like him as a as a person um, and uh, consider him uh, a friend. Nice. Who's one person in the media you think is really interesting or talented that isn't getting enough attention? Interesting or talented, not getting enough attention. I'd have to think about that one. I don't know. I don't know. No one comes to mind immediately. All right. One year from today, what's one prediction for the media? I think we will be, more divided than we are now. Um, and that makes me incredibly sad. Oh, on that happy note, <laughs> Dan, thanks yeah. so much. That was great. <laughs> Steve, appreciate it. Always good to be with you. Thanks to Dan Abrams. That was fun. Remember, Fourth Watch is not just a podcast. It's also a newsletter. Subscribe for free at fourthwatch.media. Join me. Let's build a better media together. If you like the music in the show as I do, check out the artist who created it, Super Duper. That's Super Duper Music on Instagram. The song is Far From Falling. Download it wherever you get your music. And download and follow and like, rate, review, all of that. Uh, This podcast on any of the podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, wherever you are getting your podcasts. Uh, That does a lot to help the show. And I appreciate you listening, but uh, even more downloading. Back soon. Stay safe. Talk to you then. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.